Welcome to the Don't Die Podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's another episode of the podcast, Don't Die, with Bob and Chuck. Hello. And we haven't done it in a while, because I don't know why, because the air conditioning broke, and then what Fourth of July. Fourth of July. And yeah, I think my air conditioning broke on Fourth of July. <laughs> yeah, well, well, you know, it's just things got busy. That happens. It does, but we've got some in the can, so that's good. So you at home, like you're not at home. Usually, you're hooked up through your Bluetooth in your car in traffic, listening to this. I think that's where most people listen to podcasts in the car. I, I guess I, you know I really don't listen to a lot of them and. I used to listen to a lot of them, and then, like everything else, like the internet, it's so hard to find good ones. Like, I listened to Marin for a long time. I like his right? TV show a lot. So, and then I listened to um, sports ones, basketball ones, right? And there's certain, I forget, I forget the guy's name, this New York guy, he's a big NBA insider, I listened to that. And he worked at ESPN, then he got fired. But, you know, podcasts, like, everybody's got one now. <laughs> we do, for goodness sakes. <laughs> you and me do. <laughs> if, I, if I can be on one, anybody can, yeah. apparently. But it's a good way of discussing, you know, what I don't like is when people have this kind of canned, glossy, bullshit you know, image that they just project out in any medium, right? I just, <laughs> right. I just try to be me, trying to get the message out that I care about. And one is that kids are dying, and you know, mainstream media is not covering it because True. big pharma owns the airwaves in America, right? Well, they certainly are a huge lobby for sure. Yeah, billion dollars. One, what Purdue Labs pays the the owner of Purdue Labs, which created OxyContin. He personally lobbies Washington and lo- lobbyist companies in Washington one billion dollars himself, and then Purdue also lobbies independently. He probably has many billions of dollars. He has many multiple billions, right? I don't and. 40 of them from Oxycontin, which killed hundreds of thousands of Americans, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So that's what I always like to talk about in, in a funny way, not, not in like a dark, glum, you know, cryy way, <laughs> but just get the message out that kids are dying. It's ridiculous. This is America. Something's supposed to, justice is supposed to prevail. And, you know, sometimes I don't think it's going to, but, you know, I, I went out and met, um, very powerful man last week and he posed a very interesting question to me does treatment work right and he's lost a loved one and, and he's very motivated for change in this country and I sat there and usually my default thing is yeah 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 but he was so genuine and wanted to hear what I had to say and I knew you couldn't bullshit him because he's a very wise man. And I was like, that depends, right? That's the truthful answer, whether treatment works. Right. That depends. So here's an interesting thing. So we were talking 
and I've talked several times to Dr. Drew and and several doctors I work with and and different government officials about the disease of alcoholism, right? When chemotherapy doesn't work and the tumor is shrinking, they cease doing chemotherapy, right? Okay. When oral medications for diabetes don't work, they turn to insulin, right? True. There are all kinds of modified treatment modalities that they use when something is not working for a patient. We don't do that in treatment. We just give them the same treatment. It's like giving chemotherapy patients uh, chemo that's not shrinking their tumor and it's not working on their cancer. Right. We right. need different models for different things. Of course. For different people. Well, we don't, Chuck. No, I, you know what? Uh, that that question is so broad that's like saying is water good some water is good some water is toxic some water is okay you can drink it safely some water you can only water grass with that's how broad that statement is and my my immediate reaction was like yours to defend it because i i work in it and if i didn't think it was effective i wouldn't be working in it i'd go work in a vape shop and make the same money not caring, not worrying, not having to do case, not case management, not having to do treatment plans, not having to do biopsychosocials and all that stuff. I, I would go find other work if I didn't think it worked. But do I think as a whole it's a working model? We've got, there's a lot of problems in the whole of the industry. Absolutely. And so my, I've thought about it for five days now and, and I've talked about it to anybody that will listen and my, the, the it depends part because I've been doing this a long time. Right. It depends is it depends on what the age of the client is, what the life skills of the client are, what the um, what the socioeconomic background of the client are, what the level of insight that the client has as to what treatment they should have. And we don't do that as an industry. We don't respond there's there's a thing we were both trained in, which is to assess and refer. Yes. There is no such thing anymore. If you find the client, they're yours, no matter if they're 72 years old, uh, late stage alcoholism, or 20 years old, m m uh, polysubstance abuse. Okay, mm -hmm. I, I see where you're with going. Great I see motivation, where you're going with this now. Yeah. With great motivation and no motiva motivation. Right. With, with um, great insight and surrender and willingness and no insight and no willingness both clients if i find them they go to my rehab well and and add to that the fact that because they're worth so much money as a property that if it doesn't work for them we're going to take them and give them the same treatment again and we're going to bring them back and give them the same treatment again and over, blame and, them. over and, and over and over and thing, over and blame them and their disease cancer cancer doctors do not blame the patients or the disease they just say it's metastasized it's it's not responding to the treatment we're giving it and we're going to try something else we have nothing else to give people and we've got to start as an industry doing a gut check. That's why I love Warren, who you work with. He fucking, he'll do some crazy shit trying to get through to an addict. 
doing right? it right now every day. <laughs> I watch it every day. It doesn't cease to amaze me. I wish you'd come down and hang well, out. Well, I knew him when he had the Long Beach place. He used to get people with eight days sober behind him on his motorcycle and take them up to Saugus. <laughs> I didn't know what that... I didn't, it wasn't my patient population that I was very ver- well versed in, but he would do it and it would have an effect on that guy. Right. Right. And and I worked with musicians. I know how to speak musicians' language. I know how insecure they feel, whether they're successful or not successful. I know that patient population. That's why MAP, when I worked there with Buddy Arnold, a former jazz musician, Terry Kirkman, the former singer of the association, three musicians helping drug addict music, three recovering drug addict musicians, helping drug addict musicians. Guess what our success rate was? About 30%. Hmm. And, and you know what? They used to do that with AA too for the twelve-step calls. Come out! I did. I, I just blew what I said. Yeah, you just said <laughs> <in> AA. <laughs> but you know, oh, no, you didn't say you were in it. No, you said they, they did it. They. Okay, and, okay. It was, and it was my sponsor told me that you know when they'd get a call and they'd find out about the guy, they'd go, "Hey, we've got a thirty-year-old Catholic with three kids who likes to bowl. Do we have anybody here who's a thirty-year-old Catholic <laughs> with three kids who likes to bowl that can go talk to him?" And that's who they'd send on the twelve-step calls. They try to match them so that there was that because yes we can relate to the stories but people when they're brand new they want to be able to talk about other things too so they find comfort in it and they can trust you because you're one of them yeah and that that that, add another caveat to it in the last 10 years addiction recovery treatment has been such a money-making blitzkrieg in Mm -hmm. in the self-help field that people are flocking to it to work in it to start up and to own and operate them who are not addicts. Right. Marriage and family therapists, psychologists, you know, uh, equity funds, they're getting involved in it. Who they're, they're not even motivated in that traditional AA, NA way. They're motivated for profit. Well, that's an odd question. How many doctors get into doctoring because they love people? Are they into cancer because they get into they, it for money i think i, I think so i mean so <laughs> we were just talking well, about the well, way doctors two, do things there's weird things about doctors because i know a lot of doctors and i don't want to always talk shit about them but they are not the healthiest <laughs> bunch in the world so what doctors are is super smart people at a very early age it's identified at 14 15 16 17 in high school you're super smart Now, it doesn't matter if they have people skills or not. (laughs) They're just identified as super smart. And then they're thrown into this track of of pre-med, right? And and I, you know, did you just see today's LA Times? The dean of the Keck Center at USC is is smoking meth and like hanging out with drug addicts. And eating ecstasy. Yeah, (laughs) eating ecstasy before a Keck Center event. uh, (laughs) So there's an atypical doctor as I know. My hat's off to him. Not the... Not the you know the solidest rocks in the in the in the yard. That so, doesn't fit. That doesn't fit on so, so many levels. Well, because they're so isolated in their academic track, so you, it's really hard to become a doctor. Probably. Really hard. You you live in isolation for six years. So I probably shouldn't do it. No, it's probably too late for either one of us. Well, hey, my, my mom <laughs> told me I can do anything I want. <laughs> she told you that when you were twelve. <laughs> <laughs> Not now. She didn't say that. I don't know. I'll, I'll call her after. 
Ask if you could become a doctor. Hey, mom, I'm thinking of becoming a doctor. What do you think? She's such a good Alan on she'd probably say, yes, you can, honey. (laughs) If you're willing to work hard. All you got to do is have a dream and follow it. (laughs) Flap your arms long and hard enough and you'll be able to fly. Oh, my God. You know, I was, was, uh, you know, I've had a lot of dreams in my life, but I still could, I don't know. I still thought I could play basketball in some professional way when I was like 27. <laughs> though, though I hadn't played basketball seriously competitively since high school. I was still thinking like, you know what? If I really got in shape and I really worked on my ball handling, I could I could yeah. probably get into the D League or something. <laughs> Drug induced psychosis is yeah, what that's, that's called. <laughs> or just delusional. Yeah. We're, we're taught these things by our parents. And that's another thing about this new generation of drug addicts. I don't know that the that the treatment that they're getting, the Minnesota model, really what millennials are getting because their parents have good health insurance is treatment for adults and they're not adults. Right? right? Well, yeah, it's an, it's an adult model. Absolutely. And it is hard dealing with And people ask me, people ask me what's the difference between Hazelden when I was there and the Minnesota model that's practiced in Malibu or, or Costa Mesa or Mike Mart fall over. <laughs> Way to go, Mike Mart. Are you okay? Are you okay? Did the chair break? Hey, Mike Mart. What happened? <laughs> Mike, come in here. Are you okay? <laughs> He's okay. Everybody, he's okay. Mike Mart's okay. <laughs> Have you got your little button to push? <laughs> I fall in and I can't get up. <laughs> Did you get him one of those? <laughs> I don't know if you heard that at home, but that was a loud boom in the control room. Anyways, uh, so what's the difference between, you know, because it's all called the Minnesota model. And for you at home that don't know what that is, fuck you. But <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's nice. Uh, Google it. So you don't know what it is. Okay, Google it's it. a biopsychosocial approach. Chuck just suggested that's the stuff we have to do in the in the chart. So it's a three prong approach to addiction, which it's biological in nature, it's sociological in nature, and psychological psychological in nature. So I won't bore you with all the details. But Menace, Hazelden, Minnesota, in, invented it. So it's called the Minnesota model, right? And I, that was the first rehab I went to in 1988. Mm-hmm. There were no staff on the unit. The unit was self-governed. Right. There were 20 guys living in a, in a dormitory environment. There was no staff on the unit. You were expected to travel together, the 20 of you, line up, walk down the halls, go to the lectures, go. You, you personally had a 1 o'clock appointment after lunch to go see your counselor. You went to that department and you sat outside their office in a chair and waited to see them like a doctor's appointment. You were treated like an adult because you were an adult. The way that kids are treated in the Minnesota model in the 21st century is as if they're infants. They mm-hmm. can't go to the store by themselves. They can't do this. In the outpatient programs, let alone the inpatient programs, oh, right? you know. they have no cleaning assignments. We had cleaning assignments. I remember because you know, you know, I wasn't the most disciplined person in the world. But when I was pulled to function as an adult by my peers, pulled up, which is what we call it, right? right? When, yeah, when they give you grief. When, they, when it's just expected. You have an yeah. assignment. Do your assignment. You're a grown-up, right? Right. And I rose to that occasion. And we're not allowing these kids to even clean their own rooms. Oh, well, you know, I, when you said I'm not going to take offense because I, I know we do that there, 
and we give them a lot of free reign. Like we're in downtown Huntington, and they can go all over the place. There's not a whole lot of chaperoning in real That's life. That's because stuff. Warren is crazy, and he's outside the norm. I know. So I, I, I automatically <laughs> want to defend what we do. But you're right. In most places, Just you can't forget go to, that you work for Warren now, and go back to the eight other treatment centers you've worked at. Right. You can, they can't go to the bathroom without someone going. They can't go down a hall. They can't leave um, a twelve step meeting. Monitored. If they go and outside, why are they to constantly smoke, monitored? They, uh, because probably so you don't well, lose the client. Yes. <laughs> the well, the off. argument is to keep them safe. No. But, but the word safe means safely in their seat so we can charge for them. Right? Well, you don't want, you don't want them wandering off, for sure, for a whole bunch of reasons. But probably number one is to See, ma- I think they should wander that. off. I think, you know, and that's why I'm doing this don't die movement. I've talked to 2,000 kids so far in six months, right? Mm-hmm. Very intimately, don't die. Don't mix it. Don't let fucking rehab make you feel guilty and go used by yourself and, and not care whether you live or die. You don't know these fucking people. They don't give a fuck about you. Don't die. You, you know, know, a lot of times these kids use with impunity because they've been thrown out or rejected or their insurance is over. And they feel abandoned, abused, neglected. They feel conned. They feel angry. They feel frustrated. That's something the recovery industry has to take responsibility for. Because, and then they go use and, and die. The, yeah. the example you gave a couple of weeks ago on Father's Day. You know, and that, that's, I wish that was the only time that that's happened in the last month. You know, but it's not. And that's the reality of it is that it happens, it happens over and over and over. And you know what? So because of this, um, I was over at a friend's house on Saturday, and I was talking with uh, one of us and two normal people, two two normal drinkers and users. So, so, and I don't want to be come down too harsh. I'm just saying what needs to be worked on by the recovery industry to make it more effective, right? Choose your population you want to deal with and tool to that population, right? That's a that's a great idea. Adults go to adult rehab. Millennials go to millennial rehab. <laughs> anorexic, dual diagnosis people go to anorexic, dual diagnosis rehab. Not everybody goes to whoever caught the patient. I feel like we got nets in the internet. And we're just catching <laughs> patients like the loony bin. And we just scoop them in the net and bring yeah. them to our rehab. And then we watch over them so they don't leave. And we got to stop. Because we're going to be destroyed. Put down the butterfly nets and leave the clients alone. So here's what I concluded. I work at Temecula, uh, Southern California Addiction Center, and I work at Aloe in Malibu, right? Aloe does excellent job with adults. I mean, I'm... uh, It's weird. So many guys and gals that I've known the last year that have come just for 30 days, maybe stayed 45 days had an excellent discharge plan back to Nashville, back to uh, Costa Rica, I think, or back to New York City without patient there, right? Because that's how it should be. You shouldn't try to hold them as long as you can so you can milk their insurance all the way. You should treat them. There should always be follow-up treatment at home no matter what. There should be treatment goals, and they should be achieved and then the person should go to back to home, back to where they live, into an intensive outpatient program, right? And you should have you should have a great discharge plan. Is who's picking them up at the airport? Are you going to a twelve-step meeting to, that night? And really help you know do an excellent discharge mm-hmm. plan, which no places do anymore, right? 
because the discharge plan is your insurance is up. Sorry. Yeah, no, I mean, even providing um, a printout of the local uh, 12-step meetings in the area for them. And it, it, there's, there's so many things you can do to help ease the transition because there's so many things they're not going to do naturally when they're sent back. And then, and then Temecula does excellent with the little older millennials, over 30, right? The over 30 crowd, you know, because we have a lot of millennials there, the over 30 crowd, because they're all millennials within this generation, right? But the 22-year-olds drive the 32-year-olds nuts, and they take recovery much more seriously, right? Do you find that in Huntington Beach or in, in Orange County? Did you see that? Well, a huge, Where the older well, yeah, millennials want to separate away from the younger ones. And the way that what that dynamic creates is they attach to the staff. They align with the staff. The 32-year-olds are always talking to me like, dude, you got to do something about this. Yeah. And I'm like... Right. Oh, they they it, try to friend the staff when, when it's my job to be friendly but not friends. You know, so that does create a conflict. because it, No, I like being tipped off as to who's getting high and who's fucking. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't care. To tell you about the, who's it, getting it, high in your rehab? No, no, you I don't care? About, care? I, I don't oh, care about... Oh, Chuck. Oh, Chuck. <laughs> they're tested three times a week. That, that's, they're not getting high, but the sex thing, that's their job to do that, and it's our job to catch them. They're supposed to try and get away with that stuff. That's great. <laughs> find a closet, find a place, whatever you got to do. Oh Congratulations. God. That is that is not what it says on the website. <laughs> <laughs> got me through my first 90 days. Oh my God. There you go. So that's brutal honesty, right? That's brutal honesty. But, uh, you know, and if you really wanted to get rid of the sex dynamic that is in all rehab where there's young people and co cohabitation, right, and new mm -hmm. sobriety... You would have gender-specific rehabs only. Yeah, yeah. You but would. But even then, but you're why not don't you? But why don't you? I can tell you historically why. You want to know, people at home? You want to know? It's because traditionally, the female population of treatment centers in America in the '80s, '90s, and and through into the new millennium has been 30 to 40 percent. Mm, so not enough. So you can't exactly. You can't make enough money off of only treating women. Who wants to fish in the shallow end of the pond? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't. So, so that has been that the girls are just mixed into the bunch, and and the better treatment centers like try to separate the houses. Oh, least. for housing, yeah, gender specific housing is good. It's a good idea for sure. In the outpatient level, yeah, yeah. So, anyways, getting back to my thing is. No, treatment does work when pr the patient is properly assessed and gets the treatment that would be most effective for them. This one-size-fits-all, internet-dominated, you know, optimization, Google bullshit is because the rehab centers spend so much money trying to find the clients that they can't do a good job. That's my conclusion. You know, the other side of that is... A lot of people think they want to surf, so they're always advertising surfing. But not everybody wants to surf. Dude, we have a golf course. <laughs> we have a golf course at the Temecula one. Yeah. I think like three drug addicts in the year and a half has been open of golf. <laughs> yeah. The staff golf all the time. Oh, right. And, and the staff goes surfing all the time, too. But I, I love the fact that, hey, we're steps from the beach. Everybody says we're steps from the beach. Did I tell you these Go surfing. Two, did I tell you the two kids that were all getting, they were going to leave... 
SCAC to go to this other rehab in Santa Monica and I was like I was saying oh you just want to be to the beach and whatever and you can't afford to live how are you going to because my thing about why I love Temecula is you could literally leave sober living having saved five or six hundred bucks and you could get a place to live with a roommate mm-hmm. in Temecula you get a one bedroom apartment for eight hundred bucks right right you can't do that in santa monica you can't do that in fucking uh, 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 newport beach or huntington beach you can't in long beach yeah there's <laughs> there's no reaction in long <laughs> beach that's where i went right? <laughs> so so i say to these two kids like what are you doing you're fucking crazy you're gonna just go because they know they have their insurance cards or whatever and i said so what's so special about this rebos place right and the kid goes, they have paintball. Really? They have paintball. Sober backwards. He said they have paintball. <laughs> paintball. That that'll help you get. Swear sober. to God, I'm not joking. Like some things are funny. That's sad. That's <laughs> sad. Stupid. Funny, and that says it all about that kid's motivation for treatment and for change and, and for, for what sobriety. he wants to do with his afternoons. Yeah. He wants to play he paintball. Wants paintball. So, so then me and Tom, this friend of mine that works with me, we said, okay, we'll have paintball here. Like, I'll buy a paintball gun and we'll have Tom run around and I'll shoot him. <laughs> That's probably the most fun. Take your shirt off and let me shoot you. You should have fun. But, yeah. but another thing happened. So, the, so I said, we'll get paintball. Okay. How much is a paintball gun? Like a hundred bucks? I'll go buy it now. Right? Because it's just so stupid. Right. Right? So it turns out there's something deeper to all this. You have to use before you can admit to the other rehab. Mm Mm-hmm. So really, it's all about using. The same as it's always been about. It's not about going to the beach. It's not about paintball. It's not about equine therapy. It's not about surfing. It's not about food. It's about using. And when you're done using, you surrender and you walk into the rehab and any kind of rehab it is will be fine for you. When you're not surrendered, no rehab is going to be good enough for you and you're going to have to use again. And that's yeah. that's the truth of it. And what's scary is the way <clears throat> the way they talk to each other about it. That that's not a risk. If that's not a risky behavior, if that's not a life risking behavior. Oh wait, wait! The kid called me crying two days later. I mean, if that <laughs> and he was at eighty fifth and Lincoln. I didn't know that those crossed. I have, that's like by LAX, and obviously, okay, he, that's a long ways away from Santa Monica. Yeah, eighty fifth and Lincoln. Anybody in Southern California familiar? I don't. I didn't know that they crossed. It must be somewhere in Hawthorne or Torrance or where is. I have no idea. Right. I have no idea. Yeah. It's not a good part of town. Eighty fifth and Lincoln. Does that sound like a good part of town? No, it doesn't sound like a. I got a got a new apartment. It's on eighty fifth and Lincoln. It just just has a bad ring. So like, a bad ring. It's like Baltic that's, Avenue. So that's eighty five uh-huh. blocks away from Santa Monica. I'm pretty sure, if not more. <laughs> Because Santa Monica goes 1st Street, 4th Street, and this is 85th Street. This is not Santa Monica paintballing. This is in a crack motel speedballing. So anyways, my main message is proper assessment, proper treatment, best chance of working. I'm not saying your tumor is going to shrink because it is all about that addict's individual level of suffering and and surrender the equation of suffering versus surrender and motivation and then excellent counseling and support helps 
help support that and make that grow. But unless you have that fertile soil of willingness, surrender, done, frustrated and done with suffering, no rehab's going to work. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, and, you know, that's exactly what you're saying. Enough pain to motivate the person. Not too much pain to take the motivation out of them, but enough pain to motivate. And even then, it's not a guarantee, and that's a sad fact. So, I say to you, treatment does work for some. <laughs> the question is, who are you? Who is the person in your life that you're wanting it to work for? Right? True. And it's usually parents wanting it to work for their kids. And that's probably the toughest gang in town to be tremendously motivated and having surrendered and following direction. Right? It took me nine years. I tell every parent I talk to, it took me nine years. From the first rehab I went to, it was eight years and a month, right, of using, off and on, going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, right? And, and if you measured it from my first 12-step meeting to when I finally got sober, it is 12 years, so the first time I ever wanted to stop drinking or taking drugs, I went to a 12-step meeting with a friend of mine who's dead now. So sad. But, and I remember, I really wanted to stop. But there was another part of me that didn't want to stop at all. And thus begins the journey. <laughs> if you don't know that, you'll never know it. If, you, if that didn't make total sense to you, then you never will. And let me tell you, it was the greatest AA meeting in the 12-step uh, meeting in the world. The speaker was phenomenal. I still remember it to this day, 33 years later. 133 years later, oh my God. Think about that. To still remember... I remember what the room looked like. I remember what the speaker looked like. She was sitting at a table in the front of the room. There was about 40 people there. It was in the old building behind the church on Fountain in Fairfax, uh, right? And it was magical. But I was not done yet. Right. You, right? you heard the message. You heard everything you needed to hear, but it, you weren't there. But the message was loud and clear. Like, when I... I want to when I seriously want to stop using this is where I'm going to come. <laughs> I'll be right back, guys. I'll be right back in 12 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember it like it was yesterday. And you know who took me to that meeting? Because he's dead, we can say. Brendan Mullen. Okay. And I'll say guy. to you at home that Brendan's a very dear friend of me and Mike's, died about four years ago now. One of the greatest human beings I ever knew. And uh, the Chili Peppers wrote a song about him called Brendan's Death Song. It's on there uh, two albums ago. Uh, I think it's on the I'm With You album. It's one of the five greatest songs they've ever written. It's a beautiful song. Say bye 
like the sky You are love, you are the love supreme You are the right And when you hear this You know it's your jam, it's your goodbye Like I said, you know I'm almost dead You know I'm almost Yeah.
That guy took me, he began the journey for me. He took me to my first meeting. And forever I will be thankful. Right? That's kind of cool. It's cool. Good night. Hey, this is Bob, and you can get a hold of Aloe Treatment Centers at 888-595-0235. That's Aloe Treatment Centers in Malibu and Silver Lake, 888-595-0235. Tell them Bob told you to call.